Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. Tonight we're uh, starting our conference um, this year. One of the elders' themes that we're wanting to really focus on and an area of emphasis for us was on the area of missions. And so that's why we decided for a GROW conference that would be our theme for this year. Um, And then I was thinking, well, who could we get to come and speak on this? And uh, I'm very excited that Kelly said yes. Um, Kelly and I have known each other for a long time. Uh, We uh, were actually doing the math the other day, and we've figured out now we've known each other for more of our life than what we didn't know each other, Um, which means we're getting old, Uh, because we were uh, were roommates in university together and had a lot of fun there, Um, but also it is totally, uh, besides God, it's probably Kelly's fault that I'm here. Um, and so, uh, ever since university, Kelly originally is from Cochrane. Um, he, uh, came down to the States for, for school. And so that's where we got to know each other in Tennessee. Um, but ever since, uh, university, Kelly's always tried to get me to come to Canada. And I told him I'll bring mission teams up and help you in the summer, but it gets cold in the winter and I don't want to be there. Um, but, uh, yeah, in the end, here we are. So, um, so I, I guess uh, between Kelly's prayers and his constant prodding, uh, it worked. But, uh, um, no, it's all, all due to the Lord. But we are very glad to have Kelly here. He uh, recently finished his doctorate in the area of missions. And so I, I figure he probably knows a little bit about it since he went to that level of study. So, um, and now he's, he's also pastoring his church called Tapestry um, there in Cochrane, um, as well as leading uh, his church planting network uh, that they've started out of their church where they're planting uh, multiple other churches around the, the Cochrane Calgary area, which I'm sure he can tell us much more about that than I can. But uh, Kelly, come on up and, uh, and share with us, ma'am. Well, thanks, Wayne, for that kind introduction. It is crazy for me to think that that me and Wayne have known each other for that long. Um, Yes, I do have some good university stories. No, I won't tell them while the screen and the video are still on, but if you come talk to me afterwards, I'm sure we can arrange something. But I, I am excited to talk to you guys about missions. Missions really is, I think it's part of the lifeblood of, of all of our churches. For whatever reason, God's really kind of impassioned me towards missions, towards seeking the lost and having them an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel. Um, I I don't know necessarily why God's done that, but he has. Perhaps part of it's because I didn't grow up in the church. Um, I grew up in a hockey-loving Alberta family. Um, I had two younger brothers, and that's pretty much all we did was play hockey. So in southern Alberta, I can tell you where the good arena burgers are and the bad arena burgers are. I, I know where the good coffee is and the bad coffee is. And, and if you're honest, if you're eating a burger or getting a coffee at a, at a southern Alberta hockey rink, they're all not very good and they're all not very, very tasty. But um, it wasn't until I was 17 or 18 that I first heard the gospel. Um, as God had it, it was through a hockey ministry, go figure, because uh, that's all that I did. And the Lord kind of radically transformed my life. Uh, my parents thought I was going crazy. 
Uh, they were afraid that I was going to become um, this born-again fundamentalist. I don't know where they got that language from necessarily. And for some, that might not even be a negative thing. I don't know. But for my parents, it was definitely like, what's happening to our son? Uh, they, they would remark how you're going to end up living your life in such a way that you're just going to spend all your time at church. You're going to give your money to the church and everything that you're going to eat do and breathe is going to be about the church. And, and lo and behold, now I'm a pastor with a PhD in missiology and I spend a lot of time in church. Yes, I give my money to the church. And yes, all I seem to do is, is eat, live, and breathe the, in the church. But I think it's been for the good. Um, later on after that, my mom would eventually come to know the Lord. And my dad, before he passed about 10 years ago, also has come to know the Lord since then. But I've always had this heart for others to know the gospel, for others to come to see the same truth that I received and that by God's grace I accepted when I was 17 years old. I desire for others to see that too. That's a little bit of my backstory. Maybe over the weekend I'll tell more and more of my story. Maybe tell you guys about the Aspen Network, um, the church planning network that we started maybe sometime tomorrow. But, but I wanted to kind of dive in today um, on our GROW conference on missions. Now, I could have gotten up here and I could have started with all sorts of things, like maybe you have some pressing questions about missions, like what is missions? Is, is it okay to do social justice or is it okay only to proclaim the good news? What is missions? What is not missions? I hope to get to a little bit of that by Sunday evening. And so if some of those are your pressing questions, you guys are just going to have to keep on coming back. But today I wanted to start with a foundation. What is the foundation of mission? And while we kind of want to get to, like, what do I do? What's my response? Where do I go? Where do, where, do, where, does, where do I put my hands to work? Where do I put my feet in orientation toward? Before we get to what we do, we need to start and look at God. In fact, I think sometimes we get it so backwards that we talk about what we do way before anything else. In fact, when we first meet somebody, sometimes we'll say, hey, like, what do you do? And that answers, and if it, the answer is a doctor or a nurse or maybe a teacher or maybe an oil field worker, whatever the answer is, somehow in our minds as we hear that, we're already kind of interpreting who they are. Maybe you guys already heard that I'm from Alberta and so maybe that's, maybe there's some negative connotations, all those Alberta license plates that come up here and all of a sudden now you're starting to think. But you see how sometimes it's what we do that kind of informs a little bit of our identity. But what God's actually taught us in his word is that it's the opposite. It's our identity that informs what we do. And what I want to look at today is not just our identity, but where our identity comes from. Now our identity comes from who God is and what God does. That informs who we are which then and only then informs what we do. That's the proper way. That's the way that God's intended for this to work. And so as I've intended to come here and talk to you guys about missions, it's imperative, at least in my mind, to begin with the mission of God, the who God is and what he's done. And so this evening and tomorrow morning, that's largely what we're going to look at. We're going to look at what is the mission of God. We're going to answer some of the who and some of the why and some of the what about God Tomorrow morning, we're going to talk about the story of God, all the way from creation, all the way to restoration. I'm going to preach the entire Bible in one morning. No, <laughs> but I'm going to preach the, the, the general thrust of the scriptures in the morning as we understand the story of God. And then finally, we'll get to some of the implications for us and for the church tomorrow night. 
as we look at our identity and look at what we do as a result. But this morning, we want to start with God, with his mission. Now, that's a question that's a lot of missiologists, which doesn't mean a rocket scientist or a person who develops missiles, but a missiologist is someone who studies mission. And missiologists have often asked and to some degree answered sometimes a little bit differently, usually just a matter of nuance, what is the mission of God that the scripture speaks of? But mission is an important thing. If, we, if, if I was to read a couple of mission statements to you guys of companies that I know that you guys know, I wonder if my, my reading just their statement, their mission statement, would be enough for you to figure out who they are. You guys want to try? This is the interactive portion, so shout it out, okay? Yeah. Left side versus right side. Um, I don't, and I only have two, <laughs> but we're, we're going to go with it. Okay, the first one is, this is their mission statement, okay? Organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and available. Google. Google. I heard Google from the left side. So it's Google. Yeah, I mean, some of the other ones were pretty close too. But organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and available. That's Google's mission statement. How about this one? To bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. Wow, that was unanimous. I'm going to give it to the right just so it's a tie and we're all happy when we leave. I don't want, I don't want people to leave disappointed. But, but yes, Google and Nike, we got that right away. Why? Because we, we know what they're about. A mission statement defines your purpose. It helps to crystallize the why. Now, I've been fascinated with the why for a long time. Why is what motivates me? Some people are motivated by the what. You tell them what to do and they're just like, boom, I'm going to go do it. I'm motivated by the why. There's this guy named Simon Sinek, and he, he's kind of like a, I don't even know how to describe him, but he, he writes books and he talks to people and tries to get people to kind of reshape how and reorient how they live their lives. He talks to businesses to kind of help crystallize their mission. But he has a book that says, that's called Start With Why. But he also has this golden circle that is basically broken down into three things that a company must ask. It's the what, it's the how, and it's the why. But the way that he kind of crafts it is it's concentric circles. On the outside, the biggest circle is the what. And this is what every organization already knows. It's what they do. If I was to ask you guys at Potter's House what you do, you guys could probably tell me a couple different things. Yes, you have worship gatherings. Yes, you have grow conferences. You have different ways of doing discipleship together. That's the what. And, and corporations are no different. The what they do, they know how to answer that. The how... Well, some organizations, perhaps not all, but some organizations even know how, and that how is what makes them special. So it's not just that they make mattresses, it's how they make mattresses, or what's become common lately is not just how they make mattresses, but how they get mattresses to you. It used to be that you couldn't get a mattress in a box in a vacuum-sealed bag delivered to your door. You had to go somewhere else to get it. Now you can order them online. But the how begins to shape some of a company's direction. But Simon Sinek says very few organizations actually know the why. And it's not just making money. That's a result of the what and the how and the why. Money is the product of this process, not the heart of this process. The why is the purpose or the cause or the belief. This is at the heart of mission as it relates to how we think about it anyways. 
So I imagine that most of us have come to learn a lot about the what of God. And that's good. That's what we want you to know. We want you to know a lot about what God has done. The scripture is full of what God has done. And we want you to know that. One of the things that we know is that God saves. Amen? Like God saves. That's a what that God has done. We want you to know that. God saves. Some of us have even dug deeper perhaps, maybe in our own study for our own edification or in a small group. Some of us have even gone on to seminary and crazy people like me have even gone on to get doctorates and and very obscure things. And we might even be able to discuss at length more of the how, how salvation works. You know, the scripture lays out a bunch of different theories of atonement, of us becoming one with God that really is the different ways that the Bible speaks of our salvation and how it works. Bottom line, I'll, I'll sum it all up to this. It, it is a mystery and there are multiple ways to look at it. And I don't know if we fully can have a full picture of it ourselves, but the scriptures lay clear a couple different views of how atonement, how salvation works. So the what is God saves, the how perhaps is our discussion of theories of atonement, but what about the why? Why does God save? What is at the heart of that? And of course, maybe you guys are familiar with this Bible verse, John 3.16. Have you guys heard about it before? (laughs) Right? For God so what? For God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. And so, yeah, duh, Kelly, like, do we really need a seminar on why God saves? It's because he loves us. Well, yeah, true, he does. But why does he love us? Why? Why did he set off on this grand plan in the scriptures to save us? Why did he send his son? I know it's because he loved us, but why? This is what I want to explore this weekend. I want to explore the why as it relates and builds to our what. So this, this mission statement of God, the, the mission of God as it says on the screen behind me. Quick Latin lesson, because PhD people just like Latin apparently, I don't know. But the mission of God, there's this term that we use or a phrase in Latin called the Maseo Dei. And the Maseo Dei is just the mission of God. So if you hear me say Maseo Dei or mission of God, it's, it's really the same thing. But this mission of God, what is it? What's at the center? What's at the center of the why? So that's what we want to do today. We want to define the Maseo Dei, the mission of God. We're going to do that by asking and answering three questions. So that's what we're going to do today. Three questions. I'm going to ask them, I'm going to do my best to answer them, hopefully in a clear and compelling way, and we walk away. My hope is that we've defined as best as we can what the mission of God is. Does that sound like a fair plan? Great. Three questions. We're going to start with the first one, because that's usually how it works. One, why did God create? And just so your wheels are spinning and keep going, the second question We're going to come back and answer these individually. The second question is, why did God redeem or why did God save? And the third is, why does God promise new creation? My contention, the argument that I'm going to make, the case that I'm going to build for us today, is that while we can answer each and every one of these perhaps somewhat differently, 
based on its certain degree of scope, whether in creation, why did God create, or in salvation, why did God save, or in God's plan to restore and make a new heavens and earth, why he's planning to do that. But I think if we are looking at the mission of God, I, I believe, and I'll argue for this, that there's actually one thing that connects all of them. And that's what we're going to look at now. So why did God create? Well, I think we should go to our scriptures. What do you say? Let's take a look. Now, I'm going to be, I'll be honest with you guys. Like when we look at Genesis 1 and 2, which is our account of creation, there's a lot of stuff that happens after that. Like God's creation is just, in my Bible anyways, it's one, it's two and a half pages out of a lot more pages. But yet it is a foundational piece for us to understand. Why did God create? Also, to be fair and to be honest, the Bible doesn't necessarily specifically ask and then answer this question. We have to look at it and discern for ourselves. But Genesis 1 in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we kind of know what goes from there, right? We, we see that he creates the light. Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And then we get the second day, and the third day, and the fourth day, and the fifth day. And after all of this, God has created the waters, and he's created the atmosphere, and he's created the suns and the moon, and he's, he's put animals in the seas and in the waters. He's put animals in the air. He's put plants and garden and vegetation across the land, and he's even put land animals wandering around earth. And then we get to verse 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. When God created, he, he made everything out of nothing. I think it's Latin as well. Another Latin phrase we might use is ex nihilo, out of nothing. God created. Not some random act, like perhaps the Big Bang Theory might suggest, but rather an intentional act. So why did God do that? Why did God create? And, and specifically, as we get to verse 26 and 27, why did he create us in his image and his likeness? Male and female, he created them. I believe that the impetus for God in creating was to make himself known, to be known by his creation, to be known by us. He said, let us make man in our image. Now again, our, it's actually one of the first clues regarding the Trinity in the scriptures. Our, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I don't have time to talk about the Trinity. That's a fascinating discussion. 
You don't have to ask your pastor to explain it for you. But, but God says that, that we, speaking of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, made him in our image. And the Hebrew there is the icon is the word. This icon, this image. John Piper says the point of an image, which the scripture is seeming to make that we are made in his image. The point of an image is to image or to reflect or to resemble or to look like. I actually told my church last week that, that another way of us, another way to look at how we were created and why we were created is not just as the word icon, but also idol. Now, we usually think idol as a negative connotation, that we're not supposed to make idols and idols are, are bad. But the reality is, is God has made us in his image. He has made us this way. And so we reflect God to one another. We reflect God to all of creation as his image. So God created everything. And then finally, at the very end, before he takes his rest, he creates us to image himself to one another and image himself to all of creation. But not simply as some passive mirror or shiny object, rather in our image after our likeness, it says. There's something about us, that being humanity in general, that quintessentially resembles God himself. He goes on to say, let them have dominion over over the fish and over the animals. See, because God has called us as his image bearers to have dominion, to be over, to be co-regents over what God has created. We are co-regents with God over creation. And the key there, guys, is the with. Is God has made us in his image and his likeness to have dominion over his creation so that we could be co-regents with God. God's intention from the beginning was to be with us. Yes, we celebrate at Christmas and we sing songs of Emmanuel, God with us, but his intention from the very beginning was to simply just be with us. God intended our creation to be done in the context of relationship with him. Similarly, as, as God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have relationship and participate in relationship with one another, so too has God created us in his image and likeness to be in relationship with him. We were made specifically for this, to be in relationship. Because God from the beginning was in relationship with himself. We don't fully grasp all of what the Trinity is, but the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were in relationship. And when we were created in his image and likeness, we too were meant for relationship. And it's here where we begin to ascertain God's purpose, to be known. Why did God create? So to be known. Why did he make us in his image? So that he could be known by us, that he could be with us, that he could walk with us. And this tracks with the other things that we've learned about God. And I don't have time to go through the entire scripture here, but I've got a couple of examples that tracks with this idea of God's desire to be known. 
there's plenty of great stories and sometimes it's hard for me to pick, but I, I, went, with, I went with Rahab. And as she, as she, in Joshua 2, as she went to the spies that she was hiding, she says to them, I know of your God. I know that he dried up the Red Sea. I know that he eliminated two Ammonite kings. I, I've heard the stories of this God of yours. I've been made aware. I know of this. And her response was what? Well, yes, it was to help the spies and yes, to, to kind of go against her own nation and, and support them. But, but it was ultimately fear. She feared this God. She feared the God that could dry up the Red Sea. She feared this God that could, that could just eliminate two Ammonite kings from this scrappy group of Israelites that had no business winning anything. She feared this God, she, but she knew of this God. But there's a real sense in which even the pre-Exodus, pre-Red Sea Israelites only knew of God too. They knew of God's promises to their forebears. If we look back in Exodus, or I guess, well, we were just in Joshua, but anyways. If we look back in, in Exodus, in chapter 5, we, we, we see the affliction of the Israelites. We see the affliction that, that the Pharaoh had put upon them. And the people were beginning to grumble to God, seeming, who's seemingly unwilling to deliver them and to fulfill his promises but it's here in Exodus 6 that I want to look at. He says in verse 1 through 3, we'll start there. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out. And with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Verses 6 and 7. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I, this is God speaking, remember, will deliver you from slavery to them. And I, can't read without glasses, but there's something on it. I, not me, God this time, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will do this. God will do this. But what's more here? He says in verse 2, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the forebears, to the forefathers of the Israelites. I appeared to them as what? As God Almighty. The Hebrew there is El Shaddai. It's like God Almighty, all-powerful, omnipresent. And, and like Rahab, it's probably rightful to be somewhat scared of this God because he is almighty. But then he says, but my name, the Lord, in all caps, I did not make myself known to them. You ever wonder why sometimes in the Old Testament there's Lord and it's in all caps? 
Well, it's because it's actually the, the covenant-making personal God of the Israelites. And, and it's Yahweh. It's the personal, connected God. And so he said, your forebears, the ones that I made the original covenants to, they knew me as El Shaddai. They knew me as God Almighty, but I am going to make you, my people, know me intimately. Know me as your God, and you will be my people, a relational identity that unites the Israelites to the Father to say, I have a connection to him. Not just a fear, not just a standoffishness to this God Almighty who, yes, is powerful, and yes, I want to obey because I'm scared of him, but rather, I now have this intimate connection that he is mine and I am his. I know him personally. He's not just any God, he is my God. God desires us to know him, to walk with him. It's why he revealed himself, yes, to Abraham, also to Moses and to the Israelites in such a way to be not just, he also is El Shaddai, he is God Almighty, but he's also Yahweh. So thus far, we can start to put some things together about God's mission. In creation, he created us in his image and therefore purposed us to know him. Through the Israelites, God further spoke to his desire to be known relationally, not just be something one can know about, but rather something, or rather, more correctly, someone we can know. And while there's certainly more to be said about how God made himself known throughout the Old Testament, and, and there's a lot. From Moses all the way through to Jesus, it is God working with his people, walking with his people, sometimes seemingly exasperated with his people because he wants his people to know him. It's his modus operandi, it's his MO, it's, it's what's driving him. And it's what drives him all the way to Jesus, which is what we're going to turn our attention to now. So we are beginning to deduce, as I've said a couple of times over now, that God's mission has something to do with him being known. But when we fast forward to the prologue in the Gospel of John, we learn something interesting. So let's go there. The prologue of John is just John chapter 1. It's pastor speak for the beginning of John. And unlike Matthew, which begins with a lineage, or Mark or Luke, and talking about the, the birth of Jesus and the story that, that we get for Advent and God coming to dwell with us and Emmanuel, God with us, we get in John, the word became flesh. We get in the beginning, which is kind of an echo, right? It's an echo back to Genesis 1, in the beginning. And that's exactly what John's trying to do. In the beginning was the word, was logos, is the Greek there. And the word was with God, and the word was God. But the thing that we learn that's really interesting here, if God's mission has been to make himself known from Abraham to Moses, King David, throughout the major prophets and minor prophets, all the way to Jesus. 
if his MO, if his mission is to be known, let's let verse 10 tell us how it's going. Verse 10, he was in the world. This is referring to the true light. Again, we're, we're the, 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 allu- the allusion here, allusion, is of Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, and he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world, what? Did not know him. So he's in the world, He even made the world, and yet the world did not know him. It goes on to say, even God's covenant people, to whom he was Yahweh, their personal God, El Shaddai, but also Yahweh, they did not receive him. God had purposed creation to know him, to walk with him, and yet there seemed to be this disconnect. There seemed to be this problem that we always kind of ran up against. Which is why verse 14 exists in this prologue. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We did not know him. We were Our eyes were obscured to him. We could not see him, and so God sent Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So in light of verse 10, which was, we did not know him, God said, I am going to send a solution. It will be Jesus. It will be my one and only son. And so the word became flesh and dwelt among us, became this Emmanuel, God with us, so that he could what? So that he could save us, so that he could redeem us. And what motivated Jesus to come and redeem us? We've now, if you were paying attention, got to the second question. Why did God create? So that we could know him, so that he could walk with us. And now we're here and we we haven't known him. We haven't been able to connect with him the way that he's desired. And so he sent Jesus. And why has he sent Jesus? Well, yes, it's because he loves us. John 3.16, we already covered that. But intimately connected to that theme of love was God's desire to have his creation know him. And God is El Shaddai, God is Yahweh, God is all-knowing. He knows why the disconnect exists. He knows that the disconnect exists because there is sin that has entered the world, Genesis chapter 3, that we have fallen. Romans tells us that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, that we've all sinned, that we're all broken, and that this this has created a chasm between us and God. Do you know when I first heard the gospel, I told you it was through a street hockey ministry, a youth pastor pulled me aside, I was in grade 12, and we went out for coffee. I didn't drink coffee, Um, drink a lot of coffee now, but then I didn't, so I had a hot chocolate. And he sits me down in this coffee shop in Cochrane, and he proceeds to, to lay down in front of me a gospel tract. 
Do you guys know what a gospel tract is? We don't use them as much anymore, but essentially it's like a little tool that kind of helps explain the gospel. And it was great for me because I'm a very visual person, so it had some visuals there for me to look at. And so he kind of laid out the story. He said that God desires us to know him. We've been, we've been talking about that a little bit today. And yet something exists between us that prevents us from knowing him. And as he flips the page, there's this big chasm between us and between God. And he says this, is, this chasm is sin. This, this chasm is brokenness. We're going to talk more about what that sin and brokenness is tomorrow morning. But this sin and brokenness exists. Then he flips the page again. And on this page is a superimposed image of the cross in between the two cliffs, covering the chasm, essentially creating a bridge. And so the, 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 the tract is known as this bridge tract. That the cross, that Christ's life, death, and resurrection becomes the bridge so that we can actually know God again. Do you guys know what I told him? I said, Jason, that was his name. He's actually pastor of the Alliance Church over in Vernon now, Jason Kaliba. I said, Jason, I like you. I really like hockey. I'll see you next week at hockey. Like, I, I, I don't know what to do with this message. This is new to me. I'd never heard it before. 17 years old. I did the Canadian thing. I said, thanks, but no thanks. I'll see you at hockey next week. I don't need to tell you that eventually later on. In fact, actually, I will tell you. The next day, I ended up giving my life to Christ. But it was because he explained this chasm. He explained Christ as the cross, as the bridge, so that I can know him. You see, God in creation made us so that we can know him. The fall led to creating a chasm between us so that that knowledge of him would be obscured. But in sending Jesus, who, yes, came to die for our sin, yes, rose conquering death, giving us new life, the purpose was for us to what? To be back in relationship with him to be reconciled to him, to be redeemed to him so that we could walk with him. Let's look at John chapter 17. As we continue to make the case that God's mission is for us to know him. put some context about John 17. John 17 is the end of what we call the, the upper room dialogue. And so in the gospel of John, right before Jesus goes to, to lay down his life for you and for me, before he goes to die on a cross, before he, he is rose, we see this dialogue that Jesus has with his disciples. These men that had followed him and walked with him and, 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 and saw the miracles and saw God in, in all of his glory on earth pulls them aside and kind of wants to give them that like last hurrah. The, here's what you need to know. We learn about the vine and the branches. We learn about the helper that's to come. And in John 17, we get a picture of Jesus praying. And it's usually broken down into three parts. John 17 is a, a prayer to the Father, a prayer about the ones that God's given him already and the ones that he will eventually give to him, which is us, by the way. But at the beginning, John 17, we're just gonna look at the first few verses. When Jesus had spoken these words, 
he lifted his eyes up to heaven, so after he talked about the upper, all the stuff that he said in the upper room, and said, this is what he said to the Father, Father, the hour has come. What hour? His death. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Verse 3. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That they know you. What's eternal life? That we may know him and the son whom you have sent. That we would know God. It would seem that even the eternal life is about knowing God, about being with God. So we began by asking, why did God create? Well, he created so that we would, we would know him, that, that he would be made known to us. Why did he redeem? We've already talked about that. He redeemed so that that bridge would create a path for us to know him again. And why does he offer eternal life? So that we can spend eternity, what? Knowing him. <coughs> we're going to stick with John, but we're going to jump to one of his letters. First John. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. So we begin to look at this new creation. So we begin to look at eternal life. And ask the question, why? Why does God promise new creation? Why does God promise eternal life? 1 John chapter 3, 1 to 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he ultimately is. But when he appears, we shall be with him because we shall see him as he is. In new creation, we will ultimately know God. in a way that perhaps we haven't even experienced yet. That's what John's telling us. He's saying that God came. He became God with us. He dwelt with us so that the sin barrier would be broken down so that we could walk with him, so that we could know him. And yet the promise that's still laid before us is that God will one day come back. He will make a new heavens and an earth. He will return. And we know God's a steadfast God. We know that he will fulfill the promises that he's laid out before us, so we know that he's going to come back. And in coming back, in new creation, we will ultimately know God in a way that we haven't been able to, perhaps since the Garden of Eden. But again, the purpose, the thing that's connecting all of these is what? 
Well, in creation, we were purposed to know him. In salvation or in redemption, we were redeemed to know him. And in new creation, we will ultimately know him. The mission of God, the Maseo Dei, is God's commitment to make himself known. What drives God? It's not creating, not gathering all the information of the world and making it easily accessible to all of us. That's Google's mission. The mission of God isn't seeing the athlete in every one of us and inspiring and empowering us to be the best athlete that we can be. That's Nike's mission. What's God's mission? It's to make himself known. But maybe, just maybe, you're sitting here and you're going, okay, that makes sense. Kelly, you you lay out a pretty compelling, clear argument. Thank you. But if that's true, if God's mission is to make himself known, doesn't it kind of seem like God's a little self-absorbed? Let's just be honest. Like, we know we're Christians, like, supposed to like, no, we're like, of course, yeah, we want to make him known. He wants to be known. But, like, it kind of seems that way. If any one of us acted in such a way that our entire MO, our entire mission in life was to make ourselves known, we would be called a social media influencer. I mean, we, I really hope nobody in here is a social media influencer. Wayne, I probably should have asked before I made that joke. But it would. It would seem like we're self-absorbed if that was our mission. Let me ask you this. If knowing him was the only way to understand how and why we were created, and thus our only way to know what it is to be truly human in the way that God intended, and if knowing him was the only way to be saved from our present condition, and thus our only way to be able to live out that true humanity... And if knowing him, we have the only hope in seeing him and the world as it was intended to be, then let me ask you a simple question. Would you rather a God whose sole mission it was to make himself known so that we could live life the way that he intended, a way that is good and right? Or would you rather a God that is aloof and somewhat distant and doesn't care whether he's known or not? Because what the scripture says is by knowing God, we can know ourselves, we can know why we're purposed, we can know what we're supposed to be about, we can know what it means to be truly human. If we look back in the Gospel of John, Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? He's the only way. But he also says that it's through him that we can know what life is and life to the what? Life to the full. Which is my, which, the way I understand that is that we can understand what it means to be truly human the way that he intended for us to be. If, if, if being known was the only way that God could allow us to experience that and to experience him, I dare say we want a God who wants to make himself known. It would be self-absorbed if it's about us, but it's about him. El Shaddai, God Almighty, Yahweh, a personal God, wanting us to know him and so to walk with him. So this definition of the Maseo Dei, to make himself known, 
It'll be our foundation that we're building the rest of this weekend off of. Why does God do what he wants? Why does God do what he does? It's so that he would be known. It'll be the foundation for tomorrow as first we embark on a journey, much like that of Frodo and the Lord of the Rings, to discover the story of God from creation, the fall, to redemption and restoration. If anything, come tomorrow because I already promised I'm going to preach the entire Bible in one day, so one setting. So come and figure out what that looks like. And then tomorrow night, we discuss how God's mission and God's story impact how we, as a church, as the church, live out our mission. So if you want to figure out what our mission is, you'll come back tomorrow night. But today, what are we walking away with? That everything that God has done through scripture, everything that God has done in my life was leading me to a point where I could truly say to you and to others that I know the one true God and the son that he sent. That's our foundation. We're going to build the rest from here. Will you guys pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, We know you love us because you sent your son for us, Lord. We know you want to be known by us because your scripture seems to make that clear. I pray, Lord, that as we go through the rest of this weekend, as we, as we contemplate what it means for you to make yourself known, Lord, that we'd begin to ask ourselves, what does it look like for us to know you better, to know you more intimately than we did before? That we'd ask ourselves, who is it in our lives that, that don't know you? And what does it look like for us to partner with you to help them understand more of who you are and hopefully eventually even know you as we do, Lord? Lord, your great gift to us was your son, enabling us, empowering us through your spirit to know you. And so, Lord, we give you thanks that we can know you at all. Help us to know you more deeply, more intimately, more clearly in the days, the weeks, and the years ahead. In Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. Don't you feel yourself.